Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. We are looking at some classic psalms for our summer chill series this year, and this sermon is on Psalm 42, and the preacher is Peter Bloomfield. And the second reading is Psalm 42, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 560. That's Psalm 42, which starts with, For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. This is the one problem when you follow David at the microphone. I've got to put it down another five or six inches. But thank you, David, for reading that passage. Psalm 42 is the passage we're looking at this morning. And it's all about a downcast soul. And may I say right at the beginning... This psalm has your name on it, and it has my name on it. How can I say that? Because Psalm 42 describes something that all God's people will experience from time to time. A downcast soul. A joyless, depressed feeling of anguish and despair. But friends, I want to assure you that this is not a depressing psalm. If we properly understand Psalm 42, it is actually very constructive and very helpful. And may I say, it's actually paradoxically very encouraging. And I'll intend to finish up with coming back to that paradox. But I want to make one important point right at the beginning, and that is that this psalm is not talking about every sort of human 
despair and loss. Not every sort of downcast soul. For instance, it's not related to the downcast spirits of many people, and you've been thinking of them as we all have. There's a lot of people in North Queensland, aren't there, after that recent tropical cyclone. People who lost everything they own in this world. They lost their homes, they lost their farms, their businesses, their livestock, their machinery. And they are downcast and we can understand why and our, our hearts go out to them and we hope for better days for them. But there are other parts of the Bible that do deal with that sort of issue, but Psalm 42 is not dealing with that issue. I want you to notice with me, this psalm focuses on one specific cause for a downcast soul. It's not the loss of material possessions, as painful as that can be. It's the lost sense of being near to God. Listen to the author's words. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? So the point is that this psalm, the deliberate intention of this psalm is to encourage us with the right answer to that question. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? The right answer is actually incredibly encouraging. And that is indicated, David, thankfully David read that first line in the psalm. It's often not read by Christians, but it's the first line, it's inspired text. It indicates that this Psalm 42 is called a maskil. Maskil is a Hebrew word, it just means lesson. You'll know that English readers um, will know that um, a maths lesson teaches us how to solve numerical problems. Some people who um, didn't like maths would probably say maths taught me that it, maths itself is a problem. But, <laughs> but maths properly taught, properly understood, maths teach you how to solve geometrical and numerical problems. So it's, it's a maskil. A driving lesson, a driving maskal teaches you how to cope with other problems, traffic problems, how to steer your car safely. Well, if you keep that in mind, Psalm 42, likewise, is a lesson, a maskal. And it teaches us how to cope with a particular problem and one problem. That problem is the feeling of spiritual barrenness, being weighed down, a downcast soul. And I should also point out one other little detail in the title that David read for us. You notice that the psalm is directed, it's, it's addressed to the choir director or the director of music and the sons of Korah. Now you might wonder, who are these sons of Korah? Well, they stand out here. There's all their, there's all their bits and pieces. The sons of Korah and the choir director were the musicians and the singers that helped them help the assemblies of Israel to sing their praises to God. So there are 55 psalms that are addressed to the sons of Korah. So keep that in mind. It means, practically, that Psalm 42 for the sons of Korah is not meant to be kept private. It's not, Psalm 42 should not be lost in the paperwork of Israel. It's public domain. These people out here, the sons of Korah, who play the music for it and who sing it, 
with us, help us to sing it, uh, regularly in the worship of God so we will not lose track of what the message of Psalm 42. So, what is the message of Psalm 42? Well, I'm going to take three looks at it. Let's look at what the message is for David who wrote it. Then secondly, let's take a moment to look at what it means for Jesus, the greatest of all Davids and the greater king of Israel. And then let's bring it home to us. How can it help us? What's its message for us here in the time we live? Think about David first of all. Uh, I don't need to recite now the massive evidence that David is the author of the psalm. We'll just assume that correctly this morning. So what is it that is troubling David? What is his problem? Well, verse 2 is where he answers that. He says, where can I go and meet with God? What's that mean? Well, the point is David is not able to go and meet with his fellow Jews, with his fellow believers in the assemblies of Israel. Why not? And you will know the answer most of you, I hope. It's because his own rebellious son has dethroned him, Absalom. The most handsome man in Israel was riddled with sin. He refused to allow his own father, whom God appointed as king, to reign as king. So bad was Absalom. You can read the details, if you like, in Second, uh, Second Samuel 15. In fact, there's about five chapters there in a row. Absalom was so corrupt and so evil that the Israelites turned against David, the rightful king, and drove him out of the city of Israel, out of, out of Jerusalem. So he had to flee. And it was a very troubling time, his downcast. And you notice that the better days when he used to be able to come and meet with God, when he used to be able to come with the people in the assemblies of Israel to praise God, they're now just a distant memory. What does David say in verse 4? These things I remember, I just remember them, they're so far away. I remember them as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One. I used to go with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng, uh, but they're long-distant memories. Can you get a sense of why he's cast down? How would you feel if you somehow were refused to come to church here every Sunday morning to be with your friends and praise God together? You'd be cast down. Um, but there's also... Uh, you also notice his words here to show you how desperate he is. He describes his painful anguish as like a, like a desperate deer, like a dehydrated deer. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Notice something else. He, he really, he, he, he doesn't want food. He doesn't want food. Just excuse me, I've lost a piece of paper here. Yes, I'm getting old too. He's forced to leave Jerusalem and he has no appetite for food and he says, my tears have been my food day and night. But there's something worse than that, you notice. He twice refers to mockery, another cause of pain for him, mockery. People say to me all day long, where is your God? My foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? 
I'm sure you folks would recognise, this is the cynical attack from people who have no idea of what true godliness is. They mock God's people when they're suffering. By the way, if you think back a few years, when they're saying to David now, where is your God? What a hypocrisy. They didn't say it a few years earlier, did they? Do you remember the same David when he was only a shepherd boy? The same David saved them from the Philistine hordes just with an ordinary old slingshot and one stone. He knocked and killed down Goliath of Garth. Goliath of Garth, by the way, you sometimes see those basketball players in America, they're seven foot or a bit taller. Goliath of Garth was nine foot and nine inches tall. He makes them look like pups. And David took him down while the rest of Israel cowered in the background and wouldn't come and help him. They didn't say then, did they? Where is your God, David? So this is rank hypocrisy they're now saying to David in Psalm 42 context. And he is still the king of Israel. God has appointed him as king of Israel, but now they mock him and refuse him. So what are they saying? Can I just tease this out a bit? When they, when they say to David, where is your God? Where is your God? When they mock him like that, what are they getting at? Well, let me put it in my words. They're saying something like this. Your faith is a joke, David. God is not with you. Your own tears and cries prove it. What's the point of faith in God, David? if he lets you suffer like this. You can't even rule over your own son, Absalom. How can you rule over the whole of Israel as king? See see the mockery they're digging the knife in. You You openly admit, David, to being spiritually downcast. You feel like God has forsaken you. And you know what, David? You're right, he has. Where is your God? Pretty awful, isn't it? So here's my question. So what, how does David cope with this? What is the lesson of Psalm 42? What is the masculine? What's it saying we should learn? And let me sum it up in one sentence if I could. Essentially the lesson of Psalm 42 is this. Keep on being faithful. Persevere. Don't judge spiritual well-being merely by your ordinary everyday feelings. Don't think that God is with you only when it feels okay, when the circumstances feel okay. God cannot change and he does not change like fickle men. What does the Bible say in every book of the Bible? God is always with his people, loving them and upholding them. Always. And it doesn't always feel like it. How did Daniel feel in the lion's den? How did Jesus feel on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, the lesson of this psalm is don't pretend that being faithful is a life that's stress-free. That should resonate with all of us. Being being a Christian is much more difficult, truly, than being a non-Christian. I had 20 years of being a non-Christian. It was pretty easy, really because I didn't know a thing about where I really stood. But now I'm a Christian, and now you are Christians. That can be very, very difficult. So don't presume you can read God's mind. There are many trials and tribulations. Don't presume you can understand what God is doing in your daily life or my daily life. Don't think that if it feels terrible, it is terrible. No, uh, uh, uh. 
Do you remember God's own words? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, says the Lord, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So the point, folks, is God will use even our difficult times. He will, he will use even our cast-down, sad, depressed times. He will use those to bring about good results because his ways are far higher than ours. Now, David states this message. In fact, if you read the Psalm 42 at your leisure, he restates it over and over again in various ways. One, one I like is in verse 5. One particularly strikes me in verse 5. David's suffering, what does he say to himself? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I'm feeling miserable now, but I'm going to praise God, my Saviour and my God. Being perfectly trustworthy, God will keep all his promises. Doesn't the New Testament say the same? It certainly does. Regardless of how it sometimes feels in this worldly place, underscore that, in this worldly place it can feel pretty horrible. But what does the Bible say in Ephesians 1? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in which place? The heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It can be as miserable as anything down here, but God's blessing for us is in the heavenly places, in the new heavens and new earth, where there are no more tears, no more misery, no more downcast souls. So keep in mind that is your inheritance, Christian friend. And keep on serving God, even though it feels difficult. So you notice now in verse 8, David takes his own advice. He takes his own advice. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. And I take verse 6 particularly as a brilliant uh, summary of the lesson, the mascal of the psalm. Notice verse 6. It's talking about a downcast soul and it's really telling us that's no reason to forget God's mercy. In fact, a downcast soul is the very reason to remember God's mercy. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I'll forget God. No, 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 no. Therefore, that's the very reason why I will remember God. I will remember you. So friends... The lesson of this psalm for all of us is don't measure God's love or his nearness to you about how it, in terms of how it feels. Regardless of when you are downcast or where you are downcast, notice how David puts it, doesn't he? From the land of the Jordan to the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, no matter where you feel like this, God has not changed, therefore I will remember him. And the New Testament echoes that loud and clear over and over again. Remember Hebrews 13 is a good passage on that. Be content because God has said, starts with never, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Therefore, I'll remember him. I don't care how miserable I feel, he is a wonderful God. So that's a bit of an idea of how David is teaching a message about coping with misery. Let's take a few minutes to apply it now to Jesus. Again, David, uh, Jesus is the greater David, the greater king of Israel. And as it was for the original David, didn't Jesus find the same problem? His own people rejected him. They threw him out of his own city. 
He could no longer assemble with his people to worship his father. The Bible says in John's, uh, John's gospel, he came to his own and his own received him not. So Jesus experienced a downcast soul. In fact, Christian friends, you know as well as I do, Jesus had a downcast soul far more painful than any man ever had. Do you remember him in the Garden of Gethsemane? Where we are told, I might have gone too far there. Yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And the thing is, when you think about it, on that cross, Jesus just didn't feel that God might have forsaken him. The fact is, God has forsaken him. He, fors- he has forsaken so that we won't be forsaken. He is cursed so that we won't be cursed. He didn't just feel God was a long way away. He was. God was crushing him. God was putting him to grief. It was more than a feeling. It's reality. And it led to his terrible cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you rejected me? Why has my own father turned his face away? And again, like David, his enemies mocked him with the same, where is your God taunt? You remember them, don't you, at the bottom of the cross? The chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. Just pause there. As if he's not suffering enough shocking pain being nailed to a post. But now they mock him to make it hurt even more. So they mocked him and they said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from that cross and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Well, then let God rescue him now if he wants him because he said, I am the son of God. See the mockery? Where is your God? Oh, son of God, where is your God? What? What wretched, demonic mockery. Well, here's the point, folks. How did Jesus cope with that downcast soul? What lesson or masculine did Jesus exemplify here? Well, it's the same as David shows in Psalm 42. Namely, keep on being faithful. Persevere. Don't judge spiritual well-being by how you feel. Imagine if Jesus judged the spiritual realities by how he felt. He would have to conclude that God is a wretch. But he didn't. We are supposed to judge what's happening by biblical facts, not by how we feel. Feelings are a dreadful trap for humans to get into, as if that's indicating the will of God for us. It is not, and it cannot. So what happened with with Jesus? He does, does the same as David. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And you notice that is true right at his dying death. As he died, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Into your hands I commit my spirit, my downcast spirit, my depressed spirit, I committed to you. In other words, Lord, I know you're still there. 
Oh, no, you are still with me, and I feel terribly, terribly wretched, but I commit it all to you, Lord. That's the message of Psalm 42. Now, let me come to the third part that I hope will be practical for all of us. How, how does Psalm 42, how does its lesson apply to us now that we've seen something about how it applied to David and Jesus? I'm just going to finish with three little practical applications that I hope you'll find helpful. The first one is this. Sometimes God teaches us the value of his mercies by removing them. It's ironic, isn't it? Paradoxical, but it's true. He removes them for a while. He increases our appetite for being close to him by letting us feel far away. And that makes us cry out for a stronger sense of his presence. In other words, I'll put it this way, God can use a downcast soul to produce an even more godly soul. And, you know, even in English we have this, our own common proverb that says the same thing. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. And that's exactly what's happening in Psalm 42. When God has removed a sense of his presence, it makes you cry out for him. Like a deer is panting for water that it desperately needs to stay alive to make you more godly. So there's one application. Keep that in mind, folks. And then a second one I'd say is this. You know, it's far better to be depressed and downcast over lost spiritual comforts than to be happy and comfortable with all the things of this world. Isn't that a big biblical theme? Remember how John puts it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, then love for the Father is not in them. So if God brings us in experiences to make us feel like he is far away and it depresses us and we feel downcast, that's far better than to be as happy as Larry about all the things in this world because they won't help you. They won't help you. I once went to a funeral service where the minister is a friend of mine and as he started this message at the funeral, he looked out and he saw all the cars and parked out in the big churchyard and he said, and it, it shook everybody, but it's the same point. So look at all these cars out there. There's a lot of... Holdens, a lot of Fords, a lot of each brand of car you can think of. He said, but there's one thing I can't see. I can't see a furniture truck because you cannot take it with you. And that is the point. No good being happy with the things of the world. They take you nowhere. It's God alone who will give us the riches in glory in Christ Jesus forever. And the third application I think is this. Regardless of whether or not we can identify the, the, um, the, the cause of our being downcast, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, but never forget one thing, never forget the malice of Satan. Have a guess who fueled Absalom's despicable rebellion? Satan did. Have a guess who was working in the people who mocked Jesus at the bottom of the cross? Satan. And you know, one of the favourite devices of Satan, one of the reasons he is called the Prince of Darkness, he loves to suck God's people into this darkness of despair. He is absolutely expert at that. And therefore, spiritual darkness, downcast spirits, one of his favourite weapons. He tries to bring us to a point where we just don't, couldn't be bothered with God anymore. That's what Psalm 42 is trying to address and trying to help us with. 
Satan has a thousand ways of exploiting us. He uses our strengths, he uses our weaknesses, so that when we feel spiritually downcast, there's something we should remember. It's the, it's the advice that God himself gives us. Remember this, be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for a Christian to consume. Resist him, says God, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, Satan, Satan is aware that he can't destroy even one of God's people. He can't even take one sheep from the good shepherd. But he is malicious and he'll certainly try and he'll keep on trying. The father of lies and the murderer from the beginning always tries to deceive us. And you know, his, one of his favourite targets in us is our emotions. Oh yeah. It's one of his favourite targets. One of the things I love to say to you is Satan can't remove our rich inheritance, but he will certainly try to steal our pocket money. That is our daily enjoyment of the riches of God in Christ Jesus. If he can't take that from us, and he can't, hallelujah, but he'll try and make us so miserable we don't even enjoy living as a Christian anymore. So what do we do? Well, we do what Psalm 42 and the rest of the Bible says, resist him. Remember, he's prowling about. Oh, he doesn't carry a flag with his name on it. You won't identify him publicly, but he's in your head if you let him. Resist him so he can't do it. You know, Satan loves people to be guided by mere feelings rather than by biblical facts. So don't let mere feelings, the feeling of being away from God, don't let that be your guide. Have a look at what the Bible teaches. Didn't Jesus make it clear to his own disciples that Christianity is not always smooth sailing, is it? In this world, he said to his disciples, in this world you'll have trouble, trouble, tribulation, affliction. But take heart, I have overcome this world, Jesus says. So that's the same lesson, that's the same mascot that's taught in Psalm 42. Well, let me come to a conclusion. I'll go back to where I started. Remember I commented earlier in the message about a paradox here. A downcast soul, paradoxically, is very encouraging. Why is that? Well, the only people who long for God's presence are true believers. Is that true? Worldly people have no interest in God. So when we are spiritually downcast, when we long for a renewed sense that God is with us, when, like David, we say our soul thirsts for God, for the living God, what does that show us? It shows us how vital God is to us. It's really saying, I can't live without God. I don't want to live without God, so God, please help me. Give me some indication. Help my poor, feeble senses. When I long for reassurance that I'm one of God's people, it's a good sign that that's what I really want to be. That's paradoxically an encouragement, isn't it? Because the people out there who couldn't care two hurts about God, that's not their problem. Oh, that it were. Romans 8 puts it, I'll close on this. Romans 8 puts it this way. God causes all things, pause there, including a downcast soul, 
God causes all things, downcast soul, anything else, to work together for the good of those who love him. A downcast soul by itself is not good, but it's not by itself. It's working together with everything else under the control of a sovereign God to make God's people, according to God, more than conquerors through him that loved us. That is the lesson of Psalm 42. So, my friends, thank you for the privilege of being able to share that with you. I learned a lot in preparing the message on Psalm 42. Uh, I think I said to, to uh, Linda a bit earlier this morning, or if it's sunshine, when I was asked to preach on one of the Psalms, I've got probably 80 or 90 sermons I've preached over the years on the Psalms, and I was hoping it's one of those, one because I'm getting lazy and I'd like to have the work already done. But Psalm 42 wasn't there. I thought, oh, no. And then I read it again. That's depressing. (laughs) And I thought to myself, please don't share this with him, (laughs) Uh, Linda. But I thought, that's very nice for Chris to preach on Psalm 23 last week, and he gives me this one. (laughs) In a sense, I'm just joking, of course. But I found Psalm 42 very difficult without doing any work on it. And I, I found that when I came out of the preparation of this message... Well, if, if nobody else was helped, I certainly was helped by it. It's actually an encouraging psalm about depression. And I hope God strengthens all of you and helps you with it as well. All praise to his name. Amen. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website, anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.